talking about real life situations of a previous job we all had together. Huh? Huh? Not uncomfortable at all, anyway. Greetings and salutations, and welcome once again to the Capeless Crusaders live at the time from the digital safe house of the metaverse. This is one of your three co-hosts this episode, the Azorian one, Anthony Steves, and I am joined by the guy, well, they're both wearing headsets, um, the guy who uh, is gotcha. on his recliner, and that is... This is the son of Manderson, happy to be back, and I'm going to throw it all the way down south to the other brother in the headset. Wait, Manderson, call him a Arden Shoebox Original. Call him that Arden Shoebox Original. Go. I'm not going to do that. Straight from down under. <laughs> uh, corporate oversight, Tom here <laughs> at Tall, Dark, Not Ugly. Uh, yeah, join again. Thank you. Manderson, it's it's a Sons of Anarchy reference. Tom is one of the original oh. Crusaders. They called the original members Redwood Originals. Tom is an Arden Shoebox original because we used Shoebox for our mic stands. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. man, the new hires! I swear. But then, to but then, to his point, it just excludes him because yeah, you know, exactly. Why would he <laughs> opt in to do that? <laughs> you respect the guys who were in the club before you. I mean, I, I mean, I was in a fraternity. I get the hazing, but I'm just saying, you know, Manderson in Sons of Anarchy in Sons of Anarchy and Mayans. If you don't respect the guys who were before you, you find yourself in a ditch. Okay, that's all. So for uh, for comic books though you don't have to do that you can just enjoy all of it. It's since forever, you right? things have changed you left Tom. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> it's a much harsher harsher podcast now. <laughs> it's harsher and harsher. Uh, <laughs> we of course this is the Cable Crusaders and this episode along with all of our episodes is brought to you in part by the Nerd on Nation powered by. Patreon. I got it. It's fine. The Nerd on Nation allows us to keep the lights on and up our quality. We make sure that hamster runs his ass off. And you can only do that when you help out. For as little as $1 to $5 a month, you can get early access to episodes, a Discord community that is always popping over at nerdon.tv slash Discord, bonus episodes, and so much more. Check it all out at nerdon.tv slash Patreon. Yep. Killing it. <laughs> also, for anything related to the Capeless Crusaders and NerdOn, you can head on over to either nerdon.tv slash the Capeless Crusaders or thecaplesscrusaders.com, your hubs for all things Crusaders. From there, you can find all our content as well as the rest of the NerdOn podcast family. Mm, look at that. All right. That's done. <laughs> <laughs> Took care of that stuff. Thank you all for joining us once again on your favorite podcast app or the website itself. You are here listening to episode 183, which is titled Batman the Imposter. Yes, because it's another homework assignment. Uh, giving you a were we invention. supposed to do that with you too? Or no, I got that. That's fine. Oh, no, okay. You've you've you fumbled that one, bro. Okay, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Amy would have been on it. Anyway. Far for the course for me. <laughs> Our homework assignment was to read the three-book series, Batman the Imposter, one of the books believed to be inspiring the, uh, well, by the time this comes out, the newly released The Batman, starring Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz, uh, Jeffrey Wright, 
uh, Paul Dano, uh, Colin Farrell, and I that's a lot right there I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, Andy Serkis. Andy Serkis. Uh, John Turturro. John Turturro. Thank you. There we go. Uh, um, and and a little addendum to that. Uh, I I think I think we suggested this one because of the new Batman film coming out. Um, but it's actually uh, Mattson Tomlin uh, helped write the Batman film. I did not know that Mattson did. Him and Peter Craig um, okay. uh, wrote it at the same time when Matt Reeves uh, jumped in and kind of retooled uh, the film from the original vision Ben Affleck and Zack Snyder intended. And uh, it's interesting that he's not credited at all. Mm-hmm. But like, if you look on IMDb, like he has several films under him and he's actually writing um, the ter- a Terminator anime se- series for Netflix Ooh. and is working on a Mega Man live action adaptation, I believe. And has a Hulu, uh, his directorial debut is a Hulu film. And um, I think he got his big start with a short film called Solomon Grundy. I don't know if it's connected to DC. But um, yeah, it was like, oh yeah, he helped write the like dr- first few drafts of the Batman script. Nice. But Matt Reeves and Peter Craig are the only one credited on the writing credit. So it's like, hmm. it's a little interesting. And so when he, after he wrote, helped write that script, then him and Jim Lee, he, he met up with Jim Lee. Um, to want to write a Batman comic book, and then um, they said, "How about a, a Black Label book?" And that's what we got. Funny enough, because you can you can see in the costume, the costume in the comic matches the costume we see Pattinson wearing in yeah. the film. But before we get into the talk about this lovely series we read, first we do have that little shtick we do, and the little shtick we have is called Around the Horn. Mm. Beautiful horns. Those horns are <laughs> beautiful sounds. That's right. It's time for Round the Horn, where, you know, we used to gather around those said shoeboxes back in the day with Tom and the rest of us, and we'd talk about the books we've read aside from our homework assignment. Now, yeah, I was there for some of those shoeboxes. You were when you were special guest Manderson. I was an it, intern, yeah. That was even way before the junior cheeseburger of the yeah. year guy. Yeah, it was way before that. That was like, hey, Manderson, we want to talk about a thing? And you yeah. came on. I was treated with dignity back then. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> so we talk about the books we've read outside of our uh, homework assignment. And I actually did read one, guys. Ooh. Read one. I read so an issue. Proud of you. I read an issue. Huh? Look at that. Yeah. That's me clapping for myself. Uh, I'll say mine first just to get out of the way because it'll be quick. Um, no I one else sh- will. That's what yep. she said. hey <laughs> I started the Eternals series from 2006, written oh. by the man himself, Neil Gaiman. Mm. Mm-hmm. The Gaiman Eternals. Uh, I was inspired to uh, read it after seeing Eternals a second time because I'm going to tell you, I liked it. I did like it. It, it. it was slower than what has come out in the past, but I was expecting it to be slow because I, I, I know Zhao's work. I saw Nomadland, and that is slow burn of a film so i kind of expected eternals to be slower than other mcu films in there so i didn't affect me i mean mm. did it have flaws sure uh but i wasn't like I, I i don't think it deserves the rating it got so i said you know what i want to go read an eternal story so i can know more about these characters and i thought why not neil gaiman himself since everything neil gaiman touches is pretty much gold when he writes it uh including his masterclass. Um, so uh, basically 
This story takes off with Icarus, disguised as Ike Harris. <laughs> it's good. I like it. Um, and he's trying to, he and Thena are trying to um, get this med student to realize what he is and what he really is that like, for some reason he can't remember. And in the meantime, there's a terrorist attack that occurs in a building uh, causing all this chaos. And basically we're slowly seeing how the Eternals play a part in this, uh, this angle that's happening while they introduce themselves to this character who, who may have forgotten his past. But uh, Neil Gaiman's writing has always been a, a winner and I'm enjoying where this is going and I'm excited to see uh, uh, where it takes me. I know I'm reading it, you know, close to, what, 16 years after it came out, but hey, better late than never, right? It's new to you, baby. It's new to me. It's new to me. So yes, uh, Eternals 2006, the Neil Gaiman run. I'm in reading that and I'm excited. Good. Madison, you or me? Uh, you. All right. Uh, I have not been reading a comic book. Um, okay. I think uh, Mr. Barry and I used to say uh, a book book, a real book. Book book. Yes, book books. Um, and, uh, I have, I have a couple of friends who always try to suggest me to read different novels and stuff like that, um, and get me some inspiration for some of the things I want to do. Um, but I, I've been reading, um, a, a book called Jade City, and this is a book, uh, written by Fonda Lee. Um, and, uh, she's a black belt martial artist and this book. Nice. In a best way to be said. And the reason why I bring that up is that a lot of the reviews that I came across, um, a lot of people were like, oh, the fighting is very intentional and very specific. And it feels like someone who is trained in, in fighting um, wrote this. And uh, it, it pretty much for anyone who's interested in it or would would want to, to, to dive into a, a novel, um, imagine the Godfather with a magic system in an urban fantasy. So if you're familiar with some books like um, Mistborn and uh, Allomancy, where uh, magic is uh, granted to people who use different types of materials, in here, uh, magic is granted to people who use jade. And uh, Jade City uh, is, is, is an urban fantasy really surrounding around Asian um, people. Uh, and so there's pretty much two clans. At the end of it all, you can kind of water this down as like a little bit of a drug war uh, fight between two clans. Uh, the No Peak Clan and the Mountain Clan, and we follow the main characters of, or the the main members of the 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 No Peak Clan, and there's always typically you know a, a dawn, right? And uh, this is kind of the story of how the grandchildren of this dawn are are having to come across new obstacles and a potential takeover from the Mountain Clan, and so there's a pillar, a horn, and the Weatherman, and typically all your commanders, the people who are patrolling the cities. Are fists and they have their own fingers and you know typically ten fingers for every fist um, or I guess five fingers for every fist but yeah um, and uh, it's cool it's just pretty much like you know you think of like oh okay they're going to show powers and you can use the jade in order to like enhance your abilities improve your perception your your breathing um, channel you know get channeling energy and stuff like that or sense people and there are people who are born without abilities and the jade if you use too much of it it's actually kind of like a drug addiction you can die. Um, you can go insane from using it too much and people like have it like, you know, embedded into their bones and they're called the green bones. And, uh, it's, it's pretty cool and fun. It's, there's a lot of like, you know, th there's not that much like exploration into the magic. It's just like, here's what the magic is. It's kind of like a drug, like a, a performance enhancing drug. And, um, here's kind of just the drama between 
these this the, you know two brothers a sister and like their like adopted sibling who's like a cousin and uh very much like a peaky blinders in that sense nice. and uh it, it's good it it's uh the biggest criticism i think most people have around the book is that the first 20 chapters are a little slow because they're just introducing the characters in the world and then after that it's just like you know events so this happens but this happens so they want this however this happens and then boom 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 and uh, I, I'm not finished with it yet, but it's part of a three book series, and I'm, I, I like it a lot. Um, I did like Mistborn um, for what it, that was like. Um, so you know, the fantasy genre is is captivating me so far. But nice. uh, yeah, Jade City, very cool. Yeah, sounds cool. Yeah, pretty fun. Might actually Anderson look that one up. Yeah, check it out. I've uh, I've been deeply immersed in. The world of Critical Role. Uh, if you, most of you may, I don't know, you may or may not be aware, but it's Dungeons and Dragons is how it started. They've expanded to like they got TV show now. They Fox got Machina. They got yeah, which is fantastic. Finish that if you haven't. Check it out. Uh, they got book books, and they have several different comic books, and they've been releasing uh, one shots of or, like the origin stories of some of the characters from their second campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just read the second one that came out, which is about one of my favorite characters whose name was Caleb Widogast. And it basically chronicles from when he is accepted into this academy from his tiny village and goes off. And all he and his family want him to be able to do is serve his kingdom. That's all he wants. Um, but he is indoctrinated by a teacher who does not have his best interest or the best interest of the kingdom at heart and manipulates him to do things that he wouldn't do. Um, and if, if you've listened to the second campaign of Critical Role, you'd kind of know what that is. But if you haven't, I don't want to spoil it. It is, if you don't listen to Crit- Critical Role or like Dungeons & Dragons, they're really good storytellers. You will like these books anyway. But it is a tragic book um, that uh, it satisfies the the fans uh, but it's really good storytelling and even like the art and the way they do certain panelings they have a couple where they do this spiral uh paneling where they tell the story um going in the next page it goes the other way so it starts and it comes out it's really creative it's uh it was a, f- a fantastic read i wish it wasn't a one shot because it was very well written um and the art was also very well done good colors and all that nice very nice. We got we got like a little spectrum going on. We got like you know the Marvel, the the the, the magic fantasy, and then the D and D baby. Mm-hmm. All over. Look at us, huh? Look at us. Who would have thought? Not me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that that's great. Good to hear, and I'm happy to finally be a part of the, the, the reading world. Um, it's been great. Um. Now we're going to go any news because by the time this episode comes out, there will be big news in in the in the box office True. because a certain Dark Knight returns. No, not that. A Dark Knight returns to the silver screen um, with the opening of Batman the well, no, the Batman. Excuse me, <laughs> almost said the wrong one. Uh, the Batman will be in theaters. So to um, celebrate the return of the Cape Crusader into 
our our silver screens, I thought we'd choose a comic of the Batman that we have not read yet. One that's relatively is very new and is a three issue easy read, you could say, but also a lot going on in it. Uh, Batman, the imposter written by Madsen Tomlin, as Tom mentioned earlier, uh, art by Andrea Sorrentino. Colors by Jordi Belair, uh, lettering by Steve Wands, and variant work by Lee Bermejo. I wanted to get every artist in there. I could the, I the art alone. We're going to go over that. Um, I uh, So basically, the synopsis for this one, um, first off, it introduces a character I always really liked in the Batman mythos that I never really saw a lot of outside of the animated series. Leslie. And that was... Leslie Tompkins, yes, Doctor Leslie Thompson. Always liked that character, Thompson. Thompson. Yeah, I was saying that wrong. Um, I was happy no, to Tompkins. see here. Tompkins, Tompkins, Tompkins. It was Tompkins. Okay, yeah, thank you. Get it right. Um, it was great to see her in the very first like page. I'm like, oh, yes, I've not seen this character in quite a while outside of the animated series. I mean, we don't hear much about her, and I always did, liked. Did, the... did you not watch Gotham? Ah, uh, the first, the first season. I think they kind of introduced her. Marina Baccarin. They, they did, yes. Her. They uh. did introduce her. Yes, that's right. But I, I, I didn't hang in there. As I only, you know what? I only came back to see the end when he finally put on the damn costume. <laughs> I, I know. I, I, I was like, I, was, I had to see how it ended. Uh, I even missed the Ra's al Ghul angle, which I really wished I didn't. I wanted to see that angle too, how they played that out. Um, but Leslie Tompkins. Yes, Leslie Tompkins. Uh, she finds a battered and beaten Bruce um, in costume. Uh, helps him heal up and demands that he um, that that he talk with her. Uh, was it every it was every night or it was every every night? morning at every dawn. morning at morning. dawn? Yes. Uh, otherwise, she would call the police and let them know that Bruce Wayne is Batman. And we come to find out that Batman is on the case of someone who uh, is also dressing up as the Dark Knight, but killing people like viciously. And Batman is now faced with this predicament where he needs to stop this imposter Batman from killing, but how can he clear his name? Because it still tarnishes the symbol of the bat, and how does he do it, and who's doing it, how does he get to him? All while Bruce Wayne meets the detective who's on the case, and something happens there. A love. A love takes place and makes things even more difficult for our favorite billionaire in DC. So... That is a, a quick synopsis there. Um, reading this, I, I the greediness just jumps right out. You can already tell from the very first pages. Oh yeah, seventeen and older. I get it now. I get why. Yeah, black makes, label. Gotcha. It makes sense why the black label. Uh, a lot of freedom here now. You got, and it, it it's, it's it's part of that reason why this fits well with the opening of the Batman coming out because you look at that trailer. And you look at the art in this comic, and you're like, "I see it. I, I see. I see the yeah. influences. You see where it's coming from." Um, it is a very grown up take on the bat, uh, which I appreciate. I, I like the gritty, realistic approaches when it comes to the uh, the the Batman. Um, the story I thought was well done. Was very well balanced. The 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 multiple angles of the detective uh, on the case, Bruce. You know, as usual, the rage inside him, and as he tries to balance it, tries to balance it, um, and Doctor Tompkins getting involved and trying to reach Bruce while he is on this quest. I, I thoroughly enjoyed the uh, 
these, this three book series. Um, Manderson, what do you think? Yeah, I, um, I I remember hearing about it when it was first released, and then when it was brought up, and I looked it up, I'm like, oh, okay, this is going to be a fun ride. Read like the first three pages, and like, this is already so good. <laughs> um, and I knew that I was going to enjoy the entire thing. And like the, if you take the 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 um, narration and the dialogue out of it, and just have the art just the art it would be a great book mm-hmm. and just what the how the the art and the different ways that they do lighting and uh, share the story that way is just that's a that's enough but then you add in all that other stuff and it fills it in and it was such so well written um, especially with the the detective um, and her her commentary and, and the occasional times where it intermixed with with Batman's commentary through it was really well done. And I like when writers do that. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's it's hard for them to do it well, but they nailed it on this one with how they did that art with like they'd show the detective and Bruce would be commentating and then they'd switch to bruce or in his suit or out of and she would be commentating and back and forth was just mm-hmm. so well done i loved it uh i'll jump on and uh i i really liked what i think a lot of people said when they mourned the discontinuation of uh of vertigo yeah, yeah, DC Vertigo, because mm-hmm. a lot of people called it like that was like the HBO of comic books. Yep. Um, and you know, DC Black Label is now taking over as that you know uh, publication, and I I think it still continues to have its name. Um, there is a level of like, I don't know how to say it. Like a lot of people are just gonna, I think, kind of say, oh, grit and dark and you know, grounded and stuff like that. And I think those kind of getting got, have gotten like a little muddled because a lot of people just use that as criticism instead of like a way to attribute like an aesthetic or, or a genre. Um, but I will say there is something about the way that this is written as well as the scope and the, and the, the, the perspective and tone that this, this book uh, portrays is it feels almost like, like a very indie film in that way where it's like I'm like a 24 got the rights to mm-hmm. Batman in that mm-hmm. way. Yep. Um, and I, I think that just only credits to like, you know, a lot of people I think will say, and also I think a lot of people are tired of hearing that Batman is such a wonderful, flexible character can be told very many ways where, you know, he's in the watchtower with the justice league or he is, you know, um, fighting Clayface and man bat and Mr. Freeze but also you have stories like this where it's I, I love it without trying to be too much of a spoiler, but like I love that the you know forefront of the story is Batman having to uh prove his innocence when an imposter, you know, takes his, you know, uh, you know, image and starts doing things in his name. But the the heart of the story is very much a character study of uh, of Batman and they, they change mm-hmm. things in the, in the, in the continuity in the Canon. So mm-hmm. this is definitely an Elseworlds story, um, that they do differently than, you know, with Superman, right. With Superman, the, you know, throw him in Russia, what happens or what happens if Krypton ever exploded, you know, what happens And here? They change the, 
the ideology of Batman in a, in a very interesting way that I don't think they've done before in comic books. And Manderson, you can completely uh, tell me if I'm wrong in that way when we get into it. But I thought those were some really cool, like, oh, what would this Bruce Wayne Batman be like if this and this happened or if this didn't happen? Um, and there's just gr- cool characters that, you know, he he's reflected. I think, you know, um, Bruce Tim, Paul Dini, um, and Alan Burnett really um, got this wonderful, like, re- reflecting mirror kind of thing in the Batman animated series when they're like, each villain in his rogues gallery represents a version of Batman gone too far, right? If, mm-hmm. if Penguin mm-hmm. took all the money and none of the, you know, uh, moral, then he'd become, you know, like that. If if Batman took the the fear aspect and wanted to inflict fear on other people without any sense of like to the who it, who it was, he'd become mm-hmm. Scarecrow. Mm-hmm. Um, if you know he never you know consoled the 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 sorrow and pain of loss, then he'd become like Mister Freeze. Um, and here you see that. But to your point, is these are like with different characters in the Batman lore that we don't get a chance to see all that often, like Leslie Tompkins, where they get to reflect Batman in a way where Batman doesn't have to really show or express himself, but he gets to bounce off other characters. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, other characters who were created for this comic book also show that too. And I think that was very lovely. And it, it's hard for me because it makes me like want them to be part of the main canon. Kind of, I think like the way that the Arrowverse made with Felicity Smoke. And I was like, ooh, she's she's really good. I want mm-hmm. her to be a real character. But it's like, ah, that's not how she really is in the comic. It's like, ah, but she should yeah. Um, but yeah, that, I, I really enjoyed it. And, um, you know, I started reading this on uh, the day, like two days ago. And I was just like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to have enough time to read all this. And I was like, oh, okay, I blasted through. This is easy. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> it was really, it was really a fun, enjoyable read. Yeah. Um, To go back on the changes, it, it, first off, Gordon's not around. You know, mm-hmm. Gordon's been gone for six months because of a case where they both, was it both him and Batman or just Batman himself that found out the judges were corrupt? Was I, th- it th- I think I it think was. said they did it together. They did yeah. it together and it caused Gordon to have to resign. Or mm, go yeah. Into, yeah. And so he doesn't have Gordon with him. The most trusted ally he's had that's on the force. Uh, Alfred is out of the picture early. Like early, early on yeah. Alfred. Sent gone. him off to a Russian military school and then pissed. Yeah, and yeah. nothing else. And it's like Leslie Tompkins she then becomes the the hybrid embodiment of Gordon and Alfred, more so Alfred than Gordon, but this this new, uh, a, 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 a greater part of his life than she was in the past, than she already was. Uh, she's now taken the Alfred role. She's the one who's talking to him, trying to get through to him, try to bring out his humanity. I thought that was really cool to make the connection being Bruce and Leslie, not Bruce and Alfred or Bruce and Jim. So that really, I thought was really cool, uh, the way they did that there. I, I like how you know they, you know, she she kind of t- inducted him as like a therapist client, right? Like mm-hmm. therapy client, and also like to your point, like it is a blend because uh, she's there to care for him and kind of try to figure out how he got to this point, but also she's there to kind of keep him in check mm-hmm. and make sure he's in line and make sure he's, you know that you know it's like you walk the line, you know towards the abyss every night. And I fear that one night it'll finally get you. But like, you know, that's a sentiment Alfred has constantly had, but she's also kind of like, if you don't do this for the sake of yourself, then for the sake of your self-preservation, I will, you know, threaten you. And so there is that like Gordon, who I think at the end of the day 
would pull a gun out on Batman being like, you don't kill him. You know, you mm-hmm. don't kill the villain or else mm-hmm. I will have to take you in too. And there, I think mm-hmm. that's a, to your point, that's a really cool hybrid. Yeah. And then, and then we get this, the, the love interest who is oh. also this person who's investigating him. Uh, Detective Blair Wong um, loved her angle, loved the connection they make between the two. Uh, I mean, first they are both, you know, they're both victims of a great trauma. They both love yes. on the streets and, but even so, their connection begins with that not being the main thing. Like Blair brings it up, and Bruce is like, "What are you talking about? I meant something else." And where you know they have that in common, but they try to make, they try to you know bring in other things instead of just that, and it blossoms. It it creates this relationship, which of course will then make things more difficult for Bruce because she's investigating him when he's wearing the cowl, and it just more of that trauma and pain that Bruce Wayne already has to suffer with for the uh, decades he's existed in our, in our comic book and cinematic world, the amount of pain he has to deal with. This one more thing that he finds a love and that love is trying to track him down. <laughs> I, I just thought their, their connection was outstanding. I, yeah. I, she was my favorite character in in the whole book just the way she approached things and thought about things mm-hmm. um and even like initially she's skeptical of of bruce and how he approaches her um she's a, she's an interesting uh mirror for bruce uh somebody who like bruce decided i'm doing this on my own i will war on all criminals for the vengeance of my parents' death. And she's like, well, I'm going to honor my father's legacy and fight against criminals in this way. Mm-hmm. So they're doing the same thing from two different ways and they still manage to connect and also clash uh, to hopefully not spoil too much in this book. And I... I think if they put a different character or like they put Selena in there as a love interest as we're used to, it would not have been as interesting or mm-hmm. as, um, as, as good of a read. Are, are we in spoiler territory? Can we spoil stuff or what? Yeah. yeah I, I feel mean, like this, this is probably the most recent like comic we've read, mm-hmm. but it did finish up in December. So mm-hmm. there's been two months. I say, sure. Uh, okay. Real yeah. quick. Uh, spoiler. We're yes. going to reveal things. If you haven't read this comic yet, Stop, uh, stop listening to our podcast now, but and, re- re- but still review and like. Yeah, yeah, read it and then come back. Yeah, and then and then go buy it at Empire's Comics and come back. Yeah, sweet K. Yeah, sweet K. Um, but uh, so so going to, going to full spoilers. Um, yeah, to to Manderson's point, I think I think Blair was, um, such this like this character, and that that's a crazy thing. It's like I never, th- and that's that, you know a lot of people like will be like, oh, why don't they just create orig- more original characters? Like th- this is what happens when they do. They make really really good original characters, mm. and. It, it, it's one of those things where it's like I love I love Selena Kyle I love Catwoman I love Wonder Woman I love those love interests for for Batman but like and I, I brought it up again with you know uh, the Batman animated series I don't know if you guys have watched Batman the Mask of the Phantasm oh yeah but Andrea Beaumont was such mm-hmm. a wonderful love interest because I, I just liked that version like in my head canon it could totally be like again Catwoman will always be the one true person for mm-hmm. him but like mm-hmm. if he started out with Andrea Beaumont where he like 
question if he should even actually do being Batman and like, oh, I found happiness. I wasn't expecting and counting for that. And then, you know, this is, you know, technically the imposter takes place, you know, during the Matt Reeves film where it's like year two. So he hasn't been Batman for that long. Um, and then he meets Blair Wong again, a character. And, and I think Madison, you put it so, so well, it's like, it's, she's a mirror. Uh, if anything, she's like a foil too, like, um, someone that really like, Oh, like their senses of justice are, are so pronounced and has a high priority, but they offer differing methods at who, how they are. Like when Batman, Bruce Wayne needs to get to the mission, you know, he sleeps with her and he like brutalized, he, he kicks her flying. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah. and and it throws him into a spiral where she has the gun at him and uh like re- hesitates you know like mm-hmm. she's she still has it in her her humanity to like i'm not going to hurt this person where like he's like i i will get through anybody i need to for the mission and i think that's a really cool thing where because they both come from very similar backgrounds yet it 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 takes more for her in order to have to go extreme and less for him. And I think there is a tragedy there. There is uh, a sadness, a loneliness in that, in that realization, I think, but also it does throw, you know, Batman into a a huge spiral. And I think also characters like, you know, the rat catcher is, is just like, that was, that was really rough. That was really, really rough on Mm -hmm. me just because it's like, I, I hate when uh, characters who, I wouldn't like, and this is the thing I think maybe people are like, oh, well, he's just like this scrawny, pathetic little thing, but it's like, it's someone who has kind of been rejected by society who never really meant to harm anybody and found that the one person that was like kind to him, you know, kind of double crossed him and kind of left him to the sharks. And then, you know, he's now left to think that the one person that he could actually confide in, like, hurts him. And that's it, 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 it that, was, that was like really insane. And I was just like, oh my goodness. And I, I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, there's so much about this book that I was just like, Holy crap. I mean, the fact that, yeah, Alfred wasn't in the picture was just like, oh, that's huge yeah. in the mythos. Like, they usually mm-hmm. be like, oh, the Waynes are like good guys, or the Waynes are like kind of like criminals. Like, they've done, they played with that before, but they've never taken Alfred out. And that's why it was such a big deal. I think when Tom King's run, like, oh, Alfred is dead, dead for a while. You're like, oh, yeah. No, mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't do that. And so, and, you know, yeah. creating this Batman where he doesn't have him, it's, it's wild. Yeah. He, uh, Ratcatcher was like the heartbreaking character in the story. That was a heartbreaking moment. Um, uh, regarding you brought up Andrea, Andrea Bromont, you know mm-hmm. who voiced her, right, in the cartoon series? Dan, Dana Delaney, who would yeah. go on to be Lois in the Lois Superman Lane. Adventures. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's oh no, I, I know. <laughs> um, yeah, Ratcatcher was heartbreaking. His his story there. I do like the the reference when Bruce says that he loves his parents, he misses them, but his dad wasn't perfect. Like he like he even admits that even dad was kind of had his moments where he wasn't a fan of him. So again, showing him uh, that the Waynes weren't perfect. The Waynes weren't perfection. Yeah, um, I, I, I feel like honestly, I feel like um, Mattson Tomlin like kind of really uh, like took a pulse, a check, a heart check of like people's perspective on Batman. Cause I think a lot of people on the internet have been like a little, like very critical. I don't know if it's very critical or just kind of like letting that first thought in their mind being like, Oh, well that's the dominant theory of like, cause they, they mentioned in this book of like, well, why don't you just donate your money? You have all this money. Why don't you make a foundation? 
And, you know, they address that where Bruce is like, I get a, I get what, what is it? I get some like a million a year in toys 30. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it's called, but yeah, he gets that. It's part of the trust or the fund or whatever yeah. the crap. Yeah. And he's like, I don't care about the money. Like if I could, I would give it all away. Mm-hmm. Um, it's literally just there to fund this crusade. Um, but then to that point, um, that like people kind of always is like, oh, well, well, you know, like some kid, some rich kid whose parents are holier than thou. It's like, no, it doesn't have to, they don't have to be perfect people in order for a child to have trauma at the loss of them to begin mm-hmm. with. They could be imperfect people, even terrible people. And the death of them in front of your eyes is enough to, you know, galvanize you to be like, there's something terribly, truly wrong in this city. If this is, is, is a Tuesday, you know, afternoon. Yeah. And I feel like, this, you know, this kind of really almost kind of became like this Batman for a uh, like a Twitter audience in a way, because I feel like that is a little bit of like this lazy like, oh, why doesn't Batman just give the money away? And it's like, I feel like people who ask those questions don't really read the books. Yeah, because I feel like yeah. in every Batman issue one, it always has him being the philanthropist being like, look at this new city and this is what I want to do and keep. But it's like it's not like crazy Elon Musk or. Or where it's like we're destroying this entire natural historical mountain to create a giant telescope to see the sky or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's like no, we're going to keep all the historical districts intact, but we're going to improve our current skyscrapers that we have to make bigger ones, so we create more jobs. And you know, we're going to have all these, like, and that's kind of the thing where like that's how Batman should kind of be portrayed in a sense of like he's quote unquote bulletproof from like the i guess audience criticism and that's the thing like batman is the most plot armored character in 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 comic books in terms of fighting right it's like oh because of batman he's got kryptonite in his belt and all that stuff but it's like also in terms of like how people perceive him like you know the only time i think it ever really in a good way is used against him is probably batman white knight mm-hmm. um yeah and, and it's 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 you know like how like he has uh destroyed all this all all the stuff of gotham but like Gotham has actually created a Batman fund to like account for that fact. And it's like, there is a little bit of corruption in that sense, but like here it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's out of his control in that sense. And so it gives him, it's like, he's doing what he can with what he has. Yeah. I mean, that that argument always made me laugh because they've always made it clear that Bruce is trying to do positive things business wise or philanthropic side to improve Gotham. Just the thing is Gotham, is going through so much shitty corruption that that isn't enough. Like it has to be both. It's him being philanthropic and doing what he can as Bruce Wayne while also doing what he can as the bat. It's like the way the city is and the way, you know, when judges are corrupt, when cops are corrupt, it takes more than just the philanthropic end. There's gotta be the other side, the real Bruce Wayne side, the guy who puts the cape on. And tries to put fear into those who try to be corrupt. So I think people forget that that they've always said he's doing both. It's never been just like he's just whole, he's just McDuck swimming in his money and then puts the costume on and goes jump out and fight some bad guys. There's always been that balance to him. No, I mean at the very beginning of the book, Leslie Thompson's like, "Why do you do it?" And he's like, "Last night, you know, it was the first night in 54 years that it was not a violent crime." Yeah, you know, Gotham is fun, is starting to grow a conscience. It's working. Like, yeah, and it's like oh. You know, and that's cool. And it's cool to include that as kind of like a, because I feel like a lot of people kind of, I think, run on this idea that like, oh, in 70 years, Batman is constantly still in ba- in Gotham. And it's like, yeah, in 70 years, like, and, you know, I hate to be the, this guy because, you know, I'm always the guy that 
that tends to do this. Um, uh, in 70 years, uh, all of the, what, all of 90% of Marvel's uh, heroes are all in New York. It's like, how bad is New York <laughs> if all of them are there? It's like, Jesus. You have the Fantastic Four, Iron Man, you got Spider-Man there, you got Daredevil in there, you got, like, how many of them do you need in one city where Batman's mm-hmm. like, I got, I'm, I'm, I'm the only it's one. It's just me. And then sometimes maybe sometimes a bad family. Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes some, sometimes some other orphans, but that's it, mm-hmm. you know. Just, just us. And then and the and the thing there being too is he's human. The bad family is human. They aren't they aren't powered by something or from a different planet. They're 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 you know highly trained peak condition human, but still human. Yeah, they armor. aren't they aren't people who are on fire who could fly or rock people who are bulletproof or exactly. Exactly. And so they're they're that human element is always there with Bruce and they always do a, they always balance out what he's doing there. Um, now the art, the, the writing is, is phenomenal. The writing is gritty. It's dramatic. And the artwork matches every bit of that. Um, it, 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 you were saying Anderson, you could take all the lettering away in the writing and the art itself is a masterpiece the way it looks. Um, I've said this about the trailers I've seen for the Batman. I'm saying it now when I see this, it has the David Fincher feel. It has that Fincher darkness. And I say Fincher because you see it in all his movies, whether it's seven, whether it's fight club, whether it's um, social network, there's that tone uh, Zodiac. There's that tone. He has that gritty darkness to it. The, 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 the visuals. And I see that in this trailer. And I see that in this comic, the way they present things, the way, uh, both Bruce and 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 Blair are are looking at the evidence. The way a whole panel is just this evidence on scattered around with their with the voice. Very voice mind hunter. There. Yes, very yeah. mind hunter. Yes, and the the art just sells it there. It puts you right in it. And I almost it almost reminded me. And I try to remember the artist the artist's name. Uh, I think it's is it Jock who did witches. Oh, with, uh, with Scott with Snyder. Scott Snyder. Um, that sounds I, about right. I think it's a one-word name. I think it's Jock. I, 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 I think it is. But the, the artwork in this reminded me of that, minus the, like the watercolor splashing that Jock does. Yeah, Jock. But it is Jock. The sketches reminded me of his work on witches, and it just it 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 just it went along with the tone. It it, it the, the the two paired together puts you in that world in this. Gotham that Tomlin and uh, Sorrentino uh, created. Uh, Andrea Sorrentino. The, the, it's... Mwah. <laughs> Anderson? Yeah, I like I said, you could take all the, the words out and you would still have an, an enjoyable book and story in front of you. Um, I agree with Steve's the way that the art is, is it fits the tone of the book like there's there's parts of it that are they're crisp and there's parts of it that are messy and those differences it just feels like Gotham it feels like Batman the way that that art is the like there's not a whole lot of bright colors that pop out of you like you get in a lot of the comic books um, it's just very on on point in the tone of this book and if if you had anybody else come in and do the art or the colors or the inking or anything, it would it would diminish what this group of people did. 
I felt I felt the in some of the art the way uh, Andrea did it was one thing that when you said it wasn't clear when it was gritty sometimes was when Batman is fighting the imposter mm-hmm. and after he's been hit when Bruce has taken a hit some of the fight isn't very clear like you're 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 trying to get a focus in to see what's happening and realize oh Batman just tackled him and they went farther into the sewer but it's like after Batman's been hit there's some grittiness to the drawing there where it's like you're kind of phased like Bruce is phased at that moment. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's when the art goes along with that and you have to work for it. You have to work for what's going on there. It, it's kind of like, you know, some of these, you know, a complex movie by a great filmmaker. You, you work to understand what the movie's about. It's not being hand fed to you. You have to do some of the learning while you're watching. Like we, like when Christopher Nolan's movies first came out, like inception or interstellar memento. Uh, he, Memento, even parts of the Dark Knight trilogy, you had to work for it. You didn't just sit back and eat your popcorn and just let it be told to you. You had to work to understand what was happening. Was the totem still spinning? Is Leo actually wearing a ring when it's a dream and when it's not a dream world? Is that the real totem? Things you have to worry about after and think about after. This comic did that with some of that artwork, making you work to see what is happening. Is Bruce okay? Is he falling? Where are we going here? And that just made it more intriguing, in my opinion. I mean... For me, some of the, just the striking things were like um, when you would kind of it was kind of like, like a Mortal Kombat like uh, X ray thing that would happen when like yeah. you would like punch somebody you'd see like the rib break and they would do uh-huh. a little square and it would show like a grayscale image and I thought that was pretty cool just to show like oh these are the impacts so it shows like you know it's it, it is like a it's it's a it's a fully beat or whatever and it's like oh it just adds a little bit more impact of just like what's happening in the action and also just like kind of trains your eye to go to where that stuff is. But there's something that also kind of like really struck me. And this is just maybe me because I'm an Asian dude. But, 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 but Bruce Wayne looked a little Asian boy. I was like, he, he, oh, yeah, 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 I could see. Yeah, and I was, I was like, and it reminded me of uh, the Batman animated series, um, which was the second Batman animated series outside of Batman Beyond. Um, and the Batman who voiced him was uh, Reno Romano. And uh, we actually had him on our show one time at Nerd On, and uh, it, 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 a lot of people were like, "This looks like Jackie Chan," and uh, I, I thought it was just kind of interesting. I was like, in most situations I've ever seen of like Batman done in in non live action, he tends to just like go closer to the Asian look, and I just don't know why. And maybe it's just me putting that on him, but I'm just like, you know, the blue eyes is like, okay, well that's not, <laughs> yeah. but. Um, <laughs> You never know, it could be. Um, but I was like, I saw this like because there was a moment, and I feel bad to say this. I was like, I think like in issue one, I think Blair's like going through all the evidence, and then it goes straight into Bruce Wayne sitting on the ground looking at evidence too. And I was like, mm-hmm. that looks like not her, but is that mm-hmm. her? The hair's short. I was like, oh, that's that's him. I was like, man, he look Asian. He look he look, he look Asian as hell. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> But, uh, so what you're saying is that we should cast JB to dinner as, as Bruce Wayne in a future Batman. I, I, I could. There's part yeah. of that kind of that kind of would want to just like do a like uh, what's I guess an ethnically not uh, uh, canonized like just take on all these characters like nah just do it. But we're gonna play like that's that's Clark Kent. That's you know Bruce Wayne. Whatever. I mean it is. you you have a passion project you'd like to put out where the where the character is is half. Asian descent. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I was yeah, like, "What yeah, are you talking about?" This, I don't know. If this is a passion project. That's more of like a that's a future project that will happen yeah, yeah. at some point in my life. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, we like won't, we won't say. Sixty we'll years old, it'll happen. Yeah, we'll keep it quiet, <laughs> but it, it involves the symbol. That's all. We'll keep it at that. It involves the symbol. Um, anything that stuck out to you? Like to me, off the bat, there was a panel that I immediately thought of Dark Knight, and it's when he's in the building security room, and he's standing in front of all the screens, mm-hmm. all the screens. First thing I thought of was when Bruce is in front of all of the uh, the sonar screens that he wants Lucius to uh, to handle, and that's the first thing I thought of when I saw it. it just looked beautiful there, um, and just a lot of the wide angle shots, uh, Batman with the helicopter chasing mm-hmm. him, and you just see him crouched in the helicopter there in the distance. Uh, shots of him and Blair, the, the far away distant shots of the two. Oh, the kiss. We're just yes. We're, we're just exquisitely done. Just stood out to me when I saw those. Anderson? Yep. There's a, a page, like two pages actually, in the third one where the top half, it's probably a full, I did it, read it digitally, so it's probably a full panel or both, both pages across the top is upright and the bottom is upside down. And all the narration and text is on the bottom. And the next page is the exact same images, but flipped. Um, and one of them is, I think it's Bruce on the top, and Blair is commenting on the bottom, and they flip, and yeah. Blair's on the top, and Bruce is like that. Was those are probably my two favorite pages, just because it's like I said, there Blair's a mirror for him, and that perfectly like visualize that mirror to me in that in that in those pages. Yeah, those are good ones. That was a really good one. Yeah. I mean, you guys took all kind of the best ones. Uh, I will say one that I really liked. And it's it's a small kind of blinking and miss it kind of thing if you're kind of scrolling through it. Um, There's a moment where he's in the cave and he's going, I think he's looking over, uh, you know, some more evidence stuff or investigating, doing the detective work. And he's just like kind of like crouched or like, like he's like in a ball. He's curled up in a ball in his chair. He's not like normally like as stoic and big, but it's like it shows a little bit of that like kind of what I think Robert Pattinson and Matt Reeves wanted yep. to show with um, this Batman, even I guess Matt and Tomlin, because you know he helped write this version of it, of like, you know, show a Batman that's a little uncaged, unhinged, mm-hmm. and um, not, and and that's the thing. Where like to me, my favorite version of Batman is not this version. It's the one that is like I have every uh, scenario figured out. I can def- I can figure out who this imposter is. Like let's say if it was like Kevin Conroy's. You know, Batman, who's been mm-hmm. at it for like a couple several years and all that stuff, he probably would have figured out who this imposter is like in a week and mm-hmm. never mm-hmm. have gone to others like, okay, this is the possible suspect, and boom, boom, boom. Where this is like a year two, younger, unhinged, you know, still trying to figure it out, but like and holding on by a thread. Like he's like kind of every time you see him, he's kind of like defeated looking. Like every time he meets up with Leslie yep. Tompkins, like he's battered and bruised. And like sitting having him sit in this chair in this way, I was just like this is like a young man who's just like, like looking at all this stuff and he's doing the best he can, but he doesn't have everything all set to go. Like the other Batman we've experienced before. So I just thought that was very like striking. And there's part of me he's that really, still, just, yeah. he's still the little boy in the alley seeing his parents dead. Yeah. That, yeah. Well, and, and it just kind of reminds me, like I, I almost compare it to one of my favorite pieces of artwork, which I probably should own it at some point and hang it up is Alex Ross's uh, Superman. Um, uh, uh, I guess it was it. Uh, I forget what the name of it, but Superman when he's on his chair and he's like falling asleep and his shirt's yeah. open, 
Um, yes. Just, like shows like Superman gets tired too. And it's like, yes. Oh man. I, I really, really love that. Such a great shot when he's, he's like, he's in Clark Kent wardrobe, but the shirt's open yeah. and you see the S yes. Uh, that's a great shot. I think yeah. there was a, there was an old fan made, uh, um, world's finest, of Superman and Batman. Oh, back in the day. I remember that. Yeah. Remember that? And I yeah. think the guy who played Superman, he d- recreates that scene. I think he's sitting in a chair, tired, with the shirt open. That trailer was one of the best fan-made trailers I'd ever seen. This is way before... God, I don't think we had... Maybe we had Brandon Routh. We had Brandon Routh already. We didn't have Henry Cavill yet. No. It was in that window that people were... They, they were these... But then Amazing it was during that time movie. when they had the the Batman cowl where it was like molded to the face. Yes. Yeah, yes. I God, I'm, I'm going to find the handmade. I want to find that fan made trailer now. That trailer uh, was. I'm I, I am. I am. I am two connections away from that guy who portrays Superman. Nice. So nice. I, I, I've legit. I was like, maybe I should hit him up and do like a Superman fan film. But I'm like, oh, that's so hard. That's so hard. <laughs> that's so hard. <laughs> I. Uh, um. Man, I hate when my brain goes blank. <laughs> it happens when you get old. <laughs> it you does, man. It Comic does. good. Everyone read. Months away from yeah. 40. Months away from 40. Um, yes, comic good. Go read. That is what we, we should be saying. Um, it, 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 I was going to say that, you know, my favorite interpretation of Batman isn't different from yours. I'm, you know, I, I enjoy the, you know, first, you know, his first year or two Batman. I you know I'll enjoy old man Batman, but my favorite is Batman in his prime. Is the Batman who's been doing this for five, six, seven years. He's at his peak condition, peak mental ability. That is my favorite Batman. That it's you know it's it's Bale's Dark Knight. Even though Batman Begins is my favorite in the trilogy, but <laughs> Bale's Dark Knight. It's Kevin Conroy's Batman. It's the Bat who's been in it for a while, but not too long. Not the one who's already aging and slowing down. I like that prime Batman, but I've got to admit, you know, even though the Dark Knight Returns wasn't isn't my all-time favorite Batman interpretation, Ben Affleck killed it with what he was given. Uh, Bale killed it when he got his Batman Begins role. I mean, it was it's, Batman Begins is still my favorite Batman movie to this day. And with Pattinson, having read this comic, it really looks like he's giving us this Bruce Wayne, this Batman from Batman the Imposter. And just reading this and having seen the trailer, I mean, he he did his homework. It looks like he did his homework the way from what we've seen so far, and it's made me even more excited to see this movie. Having read Batman: The Imposter, it it, it sets the tone for what we believe we're getting with this story. Uh, now, of course, we're going to go back with you know Selena Kyle being the love interest, and I'm not going to lie, I'm excited to see Zoe Kravitz as, as Catwoman. I, oh, yeah. I've, I've loved Zoe's work and what I've seen her in. Um, she, I mean. Her role in Big Little Lies has been fantastic on HBO Max. Uh, and just to see her, again, you can't judge much on trailers, but from what we've seen in the trailers, those two look comfortable in the role they've been given. They look already at ease with their characters, with the way that Bruce has been written, the way Selena has been written. And I'm just, I'm amped. I'm always for a Batman Catwoman love story. It's my favorite love story ever told. So I'm happy to see this interpretation of it so i'm excited to see it i'm glad we had a uh, we had this comic book in our minds as we uh when we eventually do see this film as it hits theaters upon the release of this recording yeah so yeah uh if you haven't yet go pick sorry for spoiling but go pick <laughs> up batman the imposter again by mattson tomlin andrea sorrentino jordi belair steve wands and lee 
Barmejo. It is a black label DC Comics. It's for the grown-ups, 17 and older. Please <laughs> pick it up at your favorite comic book shop. And, uh, you know, let us know what you think about it. You can hit us up on the old social media. Let us know what you think of Batman the Imposter. Does it get you excited for the Batman? Do you like this interpretation, this dark and gritty tone? Dark, well, darker and grittier tone of Bruce Wayne and the Bat. Let us know. And while you're at it, hey, if you're listening to us in your podcast app, give us a like and a subscribe. huh? Give us a review. Let us know what you think of this episode and many of our other episodes. Because this... Doing that is what gets this show seen, more eyes and ears, you know, more, you know, fancy schmancy things we get from Nerd on Nation, right? Right? Yeah. Right, Tom? Right, it Tom? does. Right? And right? and then so, I don't have to keep coming on these episodes. Yeah. You stop yelling at me when we're done recording. Yeah. Uh, Corporate oversight anymore. Yeah. Hey, you got to no. pump those numbers, man. Those are rookie <laughs> numbers. Let's nice. go. <laughs> shirt look all fancy. Um, thank you again for listening to episode 183. Batman the Imposter. Uh, we will be back with our next episode. What's it going to be about? You, I'm not going to tell you. You have to wait and find out when we when I post it up on the old social media. Okay? But uh, once again, thank you for listening. <laughs> thank you for liking and subscribing. I, of course, am the Azorian when Anthony and Steve is joined by... Jump in whoever wants to be in. This is yeah. the son of Mander, <laughs> a.k.a. Super Manderson. So many other monikers. And I'm going to toss it down. To the one of the OG Crusaders, the shoebox art and original. Yeah, <laughs> That's uh, cut in the closet. Yeah, this is Tom at Tar Dark Not Ugly, and uh, I appreciate uh, for you guys letting me on the show again. Thank you, Tom, for yeah. joining. Thank you for returning. Uh, bring your cut next time. You can leave the motorcycle outside. It's fine. No worries. You can do that. I know, too much. I got you. <laughs> On behalf of all members of the Capeless Crusaders, both those present and not present, uh, thank you for listening, and we wish uh, you all a better tomorrow. <laughs>